Hello, welcome to the Convergently Speaking podcast. Today we have an interview with Sarah Beal about life without rules. So we knew Sarah, know Sarah, from around, I suppose you could say, the somewhat hippie community of Adelaide. I would say she's a very well-known person and leader in the natural or mindful parenting community. She's, you know, always been somebody that I've looked up to as someone who's a few years ahead in her parenting journey. Sarah has four kids, and a couple of years ago, their family sold everything and went to Europe to travel as a family. And they've been there ever since. They traveled for a while and I think are a bit more settled now. It's been really fun to follow some of their adventures online and see how her thoughts and views and her approach to things has changed over that time. In this chat, she and Dan talk about her family's philosophy and value of living without rules or force and a bit about how that looks and also how they've gotten to where they are now. They also get into talking about rites of passage and how in our current world, we really miss out on these things and things can get a bit weird when we're in an in-between stage of life and we didn't really know what to do with that energy. If you like what you're hearing from Sarah and what she's saying is resonating with you, she has a website called Partnership Parent, which I'll also link in the show notes. Looking at it right now, it um, looks great. She does one-on-one coaching with parents who are wanting to live with the sort of philosophy that she's sharing. She also has a couple of courses that she runs on there. So if that sounds interesting to you, um, head on over and have a look at her website. Now, just a quick note, near the end, uh, Dan's audio got a bit weird. He started to sound like a robot. So we did some post-production on his end of things. So things sound a little bit strange and there's some background noise that's what happened but I think you'll still get the gist and get all the goodness out of it so I hope you enjoy this interview with Sarah Beal. Thanks for coming on the Convergently Speaking podcast Uh, it's a bit of bit of fun so we know each other from Adelaide um, sort of move in some similar circles Um, but you Sarah and your family are obviously not in Adelaide at the moment what are you doing? And tell us, tell us where you are. And yeah. Uh, so we're in uh, sunny UK, <laughs> uh, in right in the middle in the Midlands. And uh, we left Australia about a year and a half ago for adventures unknown. Yeah, and we are having one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just not the kids? kind of one we thought. Three? We've got four. Four. You got four kids. We've got four, and now we've got a seven-month-old border collie. <laughs> He's <laughs> recently joined us. Yep. Wow. So yeah, yeah. How, how 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 the heck did that happen? How did you end uh, up with four kids in this on this journey? And we want I mean the topic that you gave that you wanted to talk about was living life with no rules. Is that Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean <clears throat> we were um actually that that's probably really why we're here because we were in Adelaide and uh as my husband said, pointed out often, like, what else do you want, Sarah? Like, you've got a nice house. I earn good money. We've got kids. You know, we've got chickens. Um, yeah. The kids were we were home. We were already homeschooling. Um, we had a very nice, comfortable life, and my soul wanted something more. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, yep. Um, and so. We were like, well, we, we thought a bit about buying some land and we thought about living in community. We thought about lots of different things. And um, we did actually start looking at land in the country and started thinking about what, what life might look like. But something was pulling us. And, um, I mean, I'm standing on my ancestors' soil right now. And so now I mm-hmm. know what was pulling me. Um, yeah. And that was that I had to come here. And um, not, my, my ancestors aren't from around where we are. 
And I recently found out that only 67% of me is um, English. The rest of me is uh, from various other parts of Europe. But okay. um, oh, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm in the right place. So it was really just like needing to throw off as much as we could of our current life to find something new, to create space for something new. And that is a nice lead into um, living without rules because, yeah. you know, when we question our programming and we question things that we thought we knew and we start pulling apart all of those shoulds of our modern existence, uh, we create space for all sorts of other possibilities. Mm. And, um, and actually really in one sentence to me, it's about, you know, being as human as possible. And yeah. uh, I don't believe human beings are meant to live with rules, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And did you believe that before you went journeying? I did. I just didn't know how to get. Yes, I did. Um, a, a few years ago, I was reading like a homeschooling, unschooling blog. You know, those ones that you get in your inbox and you hardly ever read. And every now and again, you've got five minutes spare, so you read one. <laughs> and on this particular day, I read one that talked about living living in values instead of rules. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's what I wanted. That's what I'm trying to do. Like I, I hadn't heard it articulated like that before. And and that is what I had been wanting to do. And certainly that's what my kids had been telling us <laughs> from birth yeah. uh, that they wanted yeah, wow. to do. Uh, and then I read it and went, ah, like massive light bulb. Um, and so then I guess everything else from, from that point on, and, and we were already I know now that I was already pushing in this direction realized that um I, I needed to challenge as many uh, of those elements of like force or unnatural force in our world as I as I could because that is what my children tell me they're born for and so they didn't really give me any choice actually ah so it was you but it was also them oh 100 percent. yeah I mean they I, are, I, I, they are yeah. part of you yeah yeah, yeah, and and they just, um, you know, all the all the things that come up in the day as a parent, all the little like pokes that your kids give you, or the little nudges, you know, we 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 call it in our modern world like being naughty or pushing limits or pushing boundaries or all the things that people say about kids, the stuff that kids do, and you know, I have come to see those things as nudges to us parents <laughs> to just like yeah. get in the right lane. Yeah. Tell, tell us more about that. Like what's what's an example or how what's an example of reframing something that would just normally be seen as annoying or Oh, like <laughs> one thing that has been annoying me lately is my six year old loves to jump on the beds. And yeah. I mean we don't have any bed frames and the, the, the mattresses are on the floor and uh it, the part of the house that she likes to jump on happens to not be 300 years old so I'm pretty sure she's not going to go through the ceiling so there's no reason that she can't really jump on the bed except that it's annoying to me <laughs> it's probably yeah. just a sensory thing you know when a kid's talking to you and they're like constantly yeah. just like, eh. uh, you know we were saying before that neither of us are particularly we're not auditory processes but I I am kinesthetic <laughs> so like it really bugs me uh and so, you know, a few weeks ago, I was still saying, please don't jump on the beds. And then I started, and she she didn't stop jumping on the beds. She, like, has this need to do it because she's six. Um, and we're yeah. in lockdown here, so there's not a lot of opportunity for jumping anywhere else. And, uh, of course, she kept doing it. And uh, I think conventional parenting would say, you know, I've told my child not to do something, and so I now need to take steps to make sure they stop doing the thing that I've asked them to stop doing. So maybe that would be a rule. Yes. We don't jump on the beds. Yes. That's the sort of thing parents say. We don't do that in our family. And then kids do do it, so it's actually not even true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then they know you're lying. Well, we actually do do that, Mum, because we're doing it right now. So mm. I had to reframe it and now in the last week so then I started saying well could you just not jump on my so we've got mattresses pushed up against each other so she's got a single bed right next to mine like it's it's touching but if she's jumping on her mattress I can't really feel it jolting on my mattress so if I'm sitting up in bed often I'm in bed on my computer working at night as she's like falling asleep and stuff like that so if she's jumping and I'm on the computer it is a little bit annoying uh, and it makes it hard to type so then we came to this arrangement where she would just jump on her mattress but not mine if I was on my computer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this week we've just gone to like, she just jumps wherever she wants. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have become okay with it because I've just given myself that talk. <laughs> like, what yes. am I worried about? Why am I worried that she's jumping on the bed? We've got no bed frames. There's no one underneath us. That part of the house is quite new, actually, brand new. And um, I can't feel any, um, there's no problem with the integrity of the structure of the house, but from what I can tell. So there's really no reason for her not to jump on the bed, apart from the fact that it was irritating me. And I still have that little part of my brain that says, um, I've asked you not to do that, so you should stop doing that. Yeah. problem with those rules, though, is parents, is that if we have a rule, there has to be some way of enforcing it. Yeah. And, and you know, in our family, we've made a commitment from before we had children to not use any punitive parenting practices. And, you know, that goes way beyond smacking and time out. I mean, that that talks to manipulating or coercing or shaming or any of the little passive aggressive comments that you might make to a child to force them to do what something that you want them to do all these little things that parents perhaps don't realize are actually the same have the same effect on a child as a punishment and they're all the sorts of things that are typically done to enforce a rule um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's it translates really to a child as withholding love and affection Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is really traumatic for kids so once you decide you're not going to do those things, uh, then you're relying on something much greater to hold your family together, yeah, which is connection. Mm-hmm. And that's what humans are made for. Parenting by connection. Is that a book? I, I've heard this term somewhere, parenting by connection. Is that uh, Heard that, but is that sort of what you're getting to? Yeah, it's um parenting yeah. by <laughs> yeah, that is. It's actually an organisation. Yeah, because because there's that um you know hand in hand parenting, which is um Patty Whipler's program in the states, but in Australia it's licensed under Parenting by Connection. There you go. That's a program based on um you know how how kids and human beings' brains work really, and how we're wired for connection and things that parents can do to support relationship with their children and that's Mm -hmm. that's where you would have heard that term yeah yeah so that's that's nice in theory but people listening in some (laughs) of them anyway i mean there's all sorts of people that listen listen in and plenty that don't have kids yet i think so Ah, so you know what like how the hell does that actually work practically so people like probably thinking you know well it's fine not jumping on the bed but there's much more serious things that kids could be doing that you need to get them to obey you. How has your journey with it been? Like, I'm guessing you haven't applied that value uh, 100% of the time, even if even if that was your intention. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's a journey, and um, and and I guess the older the kids get, and the deeper into this journey I get as a parent, and my husband gets. The, the the more the, the the more we lean into it and so yeah you're right like there's been times for sure where I have said something to a child to get them to do what I want you know I've said something intentionally mean really when parents say things to their children to get thing to get them to do what they want particularly if we've committed to say not smacking not not doing those big obvious things that we all know about yeah one of the things that we do often laps into is meanness and we don't Mm. identify as being mean because we're parents and we we somehow think that gives us the right to um hold authority over our children so it's it's this um you know your kids doing something like uh yeah jumping on the bed and you've asked them to stop doing it and they don't and then because we're parents and when we say something our children must obey we don't just go oh okay they're going to keep jumping on the bed. We're like, we have this thing in our brain that tells us we've just we've got to keep showing them that we're in charge. We can't let them get away with anything. We've got to be consistent. These are the things that our society tells us, you know, about parenting. Our kids have got to know boundaries. They've got to know where they are. That's how they are safe. That's how they feel safe by having these boundaries. Um, and so, if your kid does keep doing whatever it is, then then we lapse into this sort of shaming, coercive language. Um, you know, maybe we say something like, um, 
I don't know. I can't even think because I haven't I haven't said anything like that. Mum, oh, mummy doesn't like. Oh, mum, that makes mummy sad. You know, like I've heard parents saying that talking yeah, to yeah, the child. Yeah. How? But well, that makes mummy sad. And while it's certainly great, and I would always advocate for being open with our kids about how we're feeling. Uh, if we're telling them how we're feeling because of something that they're doing, that's actually putting the the burden of our triggers and our feelings onto our children so yeah Yeah. in practicality what it actually looks like is parents needing to do a lot of inner work and reflection to work out why these things that our children do bother us so much and you know you mentioned that maybe children sometimes do things that are more serious than that and that could be true but there's also a lot of things that our children do that when we are really honest they're not actually as serious as we thought they were you know so there's a lot of work because uh we have to question our programming about stuff that kids do stuff that we're told is really bad that kids shouldn't do Mm. um i I have personally found that most of the time when i question those things they're actually not that bad and they're actually not Mm. bad at all um Mm. you know the main one that comes to mind is kids running across the road we live right across we live across from a park and there's a fairly main road uh, and we're not sort of uptight or no. anything about all this kind of um, road thing. But, and, and you know, I'm often at work and it's often Caitlin that's with the kids running across the road. So I'm not super involved in how the culture and the dynamics of it all evolved. And the kids also ride on our street. And we've said, I suppose this is a rule that we've kind of created quite recently. Kind of said, hey, let's not go past that. And they don't. Yeah. Yeah. But if if the littlest one who's three started to, um, yeah, that's always the question, you know, like when it's stuff that's like seriously dangerous and their brain's not developed enough to understand the impacts and the risk. Um, yeah, there's been a few occasions where I've been like, hmm, this is tricky. I don't want to have to strong arm them into things, but there are... But maybe maybe it's the old story that that's only the exception to the rule. <clears throat> well, I think I think that could be true because actually, what I've seen in my children and and other children who are grown who are brought up in their own autonomy, um, they they don't normally engage in super risky behaviours. We might no. think they're risky, no. but they've already assessed the risk. But even yes. a child pushing a limit physically. Who, who has grown up being able to hold their own weight uh, will be doing mm. this little exercise in their own mind. So mm. I, I, I actually don't think it's true that kids um, engage in things that are, are risky necessarily. Kids that grow up with a lot of rules, it does look different because they are constantly looking for ways to push out of those rules. Yes. But yes. when there are yes. no rules, they don't need to and they they are responsible for themselves and they develop this mastery of themselves in a different way. And this is my observation. Um, and as I said, it's not just my kids. It's, it's other mm. children I know who have, who have grown up in this same way. They, they don't do crazy stuff. They, they might think about things in their head and so we don't know they're doing it, but um, they, they almost always have. So, you know, your child going past that limit that you've set, you know, whatever that, the proximity limit is in relation to the road, um, going past it may well have already made the assessment that it's actually safe, so I am going to do it. Um, my my youngest child, and this is actually one of the pivotal things in, in my parenting journey, actually, to do with roads. When she was, I don't know, the age where she started wanting to walk everywhere, you know, probably two or three she she would not hold my hand across the road. She knew I wanted her to hold my hand, but she did not want to because she could do everything herself. Like she knew this with confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in the end, it became dan- more dangerous trying to force her to hold my hand because she would run away from me to try to avoid holding my hand. And um, of course, a young child running near a road, motorists then freak out. So we constantly had cars yeah. like stopping, thinking she was going to run across the road, which she never did. Um, she did sometimes run across the road after looking, but she always stopped and looked and never, ever wanted my help had actually rejected it. And so I really had to challenge that idea that that's dangerous and the idea of the limit, um, the limit pushing, because 
I could actually see that she was assessing the the risk herself, and mm. she she was capable, even if other people thought that she wasn't. So, even in those instances where we're certain it is a safety thing, it, it isn't always. So there is always more to question. Um, and yeah, sure, like if she had held my hand, I probably I would have felt more comfortable. So because I had to do the work then, like she was cool. She had to she had to do nothing except just be a kid. Mm. I had to do the work to get okay with that because she didn't leave me any option actually. So mm. I could have either fought with her and physically restrained her, which would have been awful, uh, and put me in conflict with my child. And I almost always will choose to not be in conflict with my child because mm. that doesn't feel that doesn't feel good to me. And we didn't, we we talked about you having four kids, but you didn't say what ages your kids are. You've obviously got a six-year-old. Yeah, that. so she's my little six, eight, ten, and my oldest is just ten, thirteen. Ah, cool. Mum of a teen, which is yeah. pretty fun. And what's their that. experience of living with no rules and ha have you seen them change or how have you seen them change and blossom? Since you were in your structured life versus your, because you, we should add context. Like you're quite nomadic, weren't you, until lockdown yeah. and kind of COVID? Yeah, stuff we happened. were. Yeah, I mean, we never had a particularly structured life. So I, I do, I think it's important for people to know that we didn't just, we didn't, you know, it, it wasn't that the kids were in private school and wearing uniforms and we were regimented and, sure, and, and sure. then we've suddenly, that's that's not, we, you know, we were we always. wouldn't have met you if that was the case. No. <laughs> we met <laughs> yeah, you because exactly. of the. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty laid back anyway, but in saying that, I, I look back now and realise that there were, there were subtle, there were subtle controls that were in place or, or at least, there probably weren't, but I was very stressed out about the fact that they weren't. That's probably the difference. The shift yeah. has been, I'm not even sure that the kids, the kids might not even notice that there was a shift because they were always just doing what the hell they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> but I just yeah. was very stressed out about that. So yeah. they, they were never, they could never be controlled. You know, this is, this is the point. Um, but, but if parents were thinking like, oh, this is, this sounds, you know, this sounds crazy. I could never do that. Um, they're certainly you know, I guess a process to go through where you where you gradually question mm. all of these things, um, these these frameworks and structures in our in our life. Um, but in terms of my teenager, uh, she I mean I hate to speak for her because she's she's entered that phase now where she's got a lot of uh, <laughs> thoughts and opinions of her own and and they're not my they're they're not my thoughts and my opinions. I mean she is a hundred percent her own person if we were going to talk about maybe differences in kids and teenagers in a family where there's an openness and an invitation to talk about everything you know there's no holds barred there's no shame about anything that comes up that she speaks her mind she always has mm. done and she's really stepping into her, her own power like she says what she thinks she is not afraid to challenge things that she doesn't agree with she holds us accountable if we do things that she, you know, if we, if we talk to her in a tone of voice that she perceives is not cool, she absolutely calls us on it. Uh, yeah. She, and she knows herself, like she knows herself in a way that I, I mean, I, I look back at my 13 year old self and I mean, I was, I was a very typical, very typical teenager, but she has got this uh, quiet, you know, assurance about herself because she mm. has the time and the space to know herself far more deeply, I think, than most 13-year-olds do. Mm. And, um, she, you know, one of the things that came up for us in the last week is she's on social media. She's quite active on social media. She's noticed that lots of parents, particularly mums, are really negative about their teenagers on social media. Yeah. And, yep. you know, she was talking with me about that and how that made her feel and how that might make the teenagers feel. And she was talking about what she thinks parents should be doing with their teenagers, <laughs> which is really cool. So... You know, and sometimes I share that stuff with other parents. Yeah. And I think that's that's interesting because parents, I don't think, would be used to taking advice or wisdom from a teenager um, because we do think we know better. Well, I mean, that was a lot of my problem growing up. My dad treated me like an adult and he always interacted with me like a person. And then I went to school and interacted with the school teachers that way and they didn't take too kindly to it. 
and uh, I kind of I kind of grew up with an embedded sense of not not respecting the hierarchy but respecting people that sort of earned my respect and that respected me and um so it was good what my dad did but it but it yeah. was um it was enormously um disruptive to me being able to actually fit in with the natural and and, and I think obviously there's some of my personality that took you know there's a lot of factors but um but yeah, we're not used to treating, especially teenagers. You know, like they are they are people then in their own right. Like you know, they're, they're, in many ways they're more adult than kid at that point, um, and can come out with some uh, amazing wisdom. Yeah, not that I've I mean, ever had a teenage kid, but I've worked with teenagers a fair bit. But yeah. You know, I think that's true. I think we've got these stories in our society about teenagers that we've all just decided to buy into around, you know, the rebellion and the attitude. I mean, that's, that's, these are, these are the words that come up with parents, mm. you know, about the attitude and the way they're teenagers, entitlement and the way, you know, really negative. Mm. And it's really dehumanizing. Yeah. Uh, and, and sets yeah. us up for conflict with our, with, mm. our kids, with our teenagers. And it doesn't have to be like that. You know, there is con like, sometimes we, the conflict in our family, I guess, would be particularly with my teenager is, you know, we don't agree about stuff often. Like she's 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 got her own views about the world. She's really interested in politics and things at the moment. And um and, and because of her age, you know, she's in that very sort of um, I mean, I, I don't know if you were, I certainly was, probably not quite at 13, but a like a bit of an older teenager, that really ideal ideological Yeah, ideological sounded yeah, hard yeah. to say uh, you know where where you've got this idea about the world and you're like really like championing this particular you know very um one-eyed about and that's what I was like and I remember it and I was actually um my parents really gave me that freedom to explore these things that I was interested in which I'm really grateful for and so I remember what that's like so we have these conversations yeah. and they're like really you know, they could be really heated because we're conversing about stuff that's really important. And she's she loves it. She really she really enjoys it. And and I can imagine that if if I was a different parent and I was trying to shut her down or trying to convince her to agree with my way of thinking, that we would be in opposition. Yes. And we yeah. don't have to be. We don't have to be in opposition with anyone. Actually, yeah. it's a really great place to start because our world is so polarized and divisive right now and we can live with our kids in a different way to really show them we don't have to be in opposition with other human beings mm. well that's a topic i'm very concerned interested passionate about the polarization and yeah yeah interesting oh. to reflect on the the role that rather than trying to start big and influ influence that start small and influence that and 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 live a different way and set a different example um in your own family and everyone in the family system kind of learns how to talk things through rather than you know just react um yeah. surely got to be doing a small piece to uh you know disempower this polarization culture or change it or whatever yeah. you know. yeah, absolutely I, I'm convinced of it and you know we don't even need to teach our kids to do it because they know they're like I, I just mm. I'm so sure that they're born knowing like human beings are by nature collaborative I I really believe mm. <clears throat> and I, I feel we're designed to we're designed to feel feel into our humanity and our children are know that instinctively and mm. you know almost from birth so many parents try to, to actually train their children out of that, that instinct, that innate knowing of being human mm, by mm. controlling them with all of these rules and constructs. And uh, our children know this stuff better than us because they're, they're closer to it, I think. You know, we've spent so many more years on the earth being, being trained out of it. Our, our children are born, like, pure and they're, like, ready for it, like, straight away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about this idea. Um, it's like it's like a fact, you know. We have a saying that um, we're not being very human, or that's that's very human of us, or human of us, or not human of us. In this 
concept that humans can be not very human and yet you know a walrus or a whale or a lion is just they just are who they are a lion can't be not very lion you said it you know? i just got tingles so it's our gift, but it's yeah it's our gift but it's yeah. our curse because we don't know how to live in our instinct we've mm. we've like we've we've stopped listening to our ancestors voices you know like a lion knows how to be a lion because he's got his ancestors like roaring in his heart and he can hear them mm. he's not overthinking it he's just yes. a lion we we overthink it we like we put all this other bullshit uh, yeah, and and we are just animals. Actually, we've elevated ourselves above them and made it more complicated. But we're just we're animals, not mm, just animals. Mm. Animals are amazing, and we are an animal. Mm, mm. And we put ourselves over, you know, Homo sapiens. We 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 killed out all the other all the other species of human because we thought we were better than everyone else, and we were like elevated ourselves to this position. Our current culture is built on almost the opposite of being human. You know, we we wanna we conquer, we invade, we have authority over everything because we think we're, you know, in this position and and we're not. We're just animals. Mm. Mm. So and our children, you know, I my children, your children, a hundred percent your children, they've been sent to us to to, to remind oh. us. Yeah, we definitely don't know any everything as the parents and you know they they remind us things we once knew. That's that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've often tended to be too serious. You know, that's the thing. Like, have more fun, relax, don't be so serious. And having kids, that I mean, I had to take the invitation, or I have to take the invitation daily. Um, but they definitely bring me back into that non-serious, childish mode, which is there in me. It's a memory. I wasn't too serious as a kid. I mean, I probably was a bit, but definitely not like now. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually, that's a that's an interesting point because what what living, you know, without rules, I mean, that's just a word, that's just a term for it, but however you want to frame it, sure. uh, li living in our values, living as humans, um, when, when we don't feel like as parents that we have to be the serious ones and we have to kind of like set the tone for the family and we have to be the enforcers, when we're not doing that, we have got space to have fun, muck around, be mm. lighthearted, um, not take ourselves too seriously. But when we're in this role of like the conventional parent who has to set the rules, hold the rules, get the jobs done, like that takes a lot of time. And energy mm. if you think about how a day works with small children if, if that's how you were mm -hmm. living that's pretty pretty much a full-time job <laughs> just yeah. just getting yeah. the shit done and 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 enforcing the rules that's that's a lot you know that's a lot of work and so there's no time to be fun or light-hearted mm. or muck around yeah for sure I mean Caitlin said the other day and if if you don't like me saying this Caitlin just edit it out we had a big chat you know, we're meant, meant to go to bed, would normally go to sleep, but we ended up having a big chat. And she was talking about sometimes, I don't know how she worded it, so I don't want to misquote it, but, you know, feeling feeling like a failure because or feeling like she's not as good at the parenting thing as other other mums because, you know, the house is messy or something like this. Oh, no. No. I said, I can't remember how I worded it, but it was something like, well, I don't think that having the house clean is actually your goal. I said it's probably a goal that you have some tiers lower down. But I said if that was really your goal, you would go turn the TV on, put the kids in front of the TV and clean the house. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was really important, it'd be a way to make it happen. And some people That's do right. choose that. Some people, that is really important to some people. That's right. That's right. And so, and what I was speaking to was what I believe is a myth that there's people out there that are getting it all right, and um, you know, have everything perfectly in balance, and everything is 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 running like, you know, as 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 you or I as we want it to. You look at their life and go, oh, it's all good, but but I'm convinced that, you know. 
if if there's normal circumstances where one parent's full time or maybe two parents are full time work, you know, if there's normal modern modern life pressures, they're compromising stuff. Yeah. You know, if their house yeah. is clean, I mean, like really clean, not just cleanish. If if it's like impeccably clean all the time, then there's something else that that that's not happening. Um, and I was saying, okay, well, you're making all this stuff from scratch and um, you know, nutritious, healthy food. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say every parenting thing that she does, but it's just really, really interesting to see that we all just have different emphases, you know, yeah. um, and no one's getting it all right all the time. Cause I know there's a lot of that mum guilt out there, you know, like, I think I'm, get, I'm sure you're going to have the ones that are like, oh, my house is always clean, but my kid's so this or so that you know so naughty or so much on screen you know whatever it is um and that other family they're not they're not like that uh, and i think it's i think it's crap i think no one's getting it exactly right and i think we're getting right those things that we prioritize um yeah and do we need to get it right like what's that you know that's a that's a loaded uh, you know like we hold a lot of judgment over ourselves and uh also over other people which takes us back to this idea of division and polarity that mm. that happens because we hold judgments over ourselves and over other people so um the idea of getting it right i mean i think that's a myth in itself you don't have to get it right like we just have to live like you mm. said before you know the the lions and the walruses and the elephants they're not thinking about getting it right they're just like living so mm. Mm. We, we spend a lot of time, yeah, comparing ourselves to other mothers, like, we're the worst, 100%. And while we're judging ourselves for not having a clean house, we're also judging somebody else for having a clean house and achieving that by having their kids watching TV. Yeah, and that reminds yeah. me, a question I wanted to ask before. I remember you telling a story or you just talking to me a while back now about I don't know if it's your teenager, maybe your next kid down and their relationship with video games and how you used to have rules about less screen time and yep. you, you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. Specific, so yeah. And, and that is yeah, that is somewhere that we have had a really big shift actually, because um I mean we don't have we don't have any arbitrary limits in our in our house at all. Uh which means the kids c can do whatever they like and they like gaming. Uh, two, two of them in particular, and my third, my fourth child is just starting to get interested in it as well. So they spend a lot of their time at the moment gaming, and that is a big shift because years ago I was really resistant to the idea of digital technology, and my kids really, really wanted to use digital technology, and so we were in conflict about that. Um, and and just as I had to do the flip on jumping on beds, I've I've done the flip on on gaming and social media and, you know, every element of um, digital technology that's open to kids. And and that has been a big part of, I guess, where, where I've opened up to because it really came down to listening to my kids and hearing what they wanted to do. So, you know, you said before about, you know, comparison and, you know, comparing ourselves to other families and then holding judgments over the way other people live. I had to do a lot of work on my identity as a mother because I was a mum who didn't do screen time. We ate organic food, everything was made, all of that stuff. You know, that was my identity. That's who I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and actually what was really painful for me when my kids were pushing um, you know, iPads and laptops, etc. was, but I'm not that mum. I'm a mum that watches a movie on Friday nights and makes popcorn. You know, yeah. that's what we did. And, man, I was proud of that because I got to then judge other people for doing something different. I got to, you know, go to a cafe with my kids and see somebody else's child on an iPad and feel superior to them because my child wasn't allowed to do that. That made me yeah. feel good as a mum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what I really had to do was go, whoa, do I, do I need to do that to other parents to feel good as a human being? No, I don't, I don't actually need to. So I had to do the work actually to, to get okay with myself um, so that 
nothing my nothing my children do is about me like my children aren't me my children aren't a reflection of me they're not a reflection of my parenting they're not a reflection of how much I love them um, they are them and it is my great honor and joy to to hold space for them and and to nurture them and mother them but not in the way that I thought I needed to um, mm. and, and what that has done is as well as meaning my kids have got so much freedom and they can you know meet the world however they find it it means that I don't judge anybody else that's been the mm. big change and that's that's where you know this this idea of you know this this division that we're currently living in where we judge ourselves as right and somebody else is wrong all of that has fallen away for me and I'm able to love everybody exactly as they are with no judgment um, and no false idea of like goodness or rightness on my part. So those that don't value freedom like you, you sound like you do, and I assume you and your husband both do, that value more structure and consistency, your judgment towards them, like that, that, that's been a shift now. How do you process that? And how do you think about that now compared to how you used to think about it? I don't think anything about them because they're not me and they're on their own path. And, I mean, I, I work with parents on those things. And so if somebody asked me to think about them <laughs> or they wanted to shift or move forward in some way, then I would, I would think about them logically. Yeah. But I, I have no interest in what another family does, not from the point of view of comparison or judging or you know because mothers in particular maybe dad's a little bit but mothers in particular we've got this like ranking system and 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 you can see another mother and I remember I and mean, I don't do this anymore but I remember um and the goal is to be at the top of that leaderboard right as a mum you want to be like the gold star mum whatever that means to you yeah. it does mean the, the ridiculous thing is it means a different thing to everybody so that's the other big shift and something that I keep myself in check with all the time so do my kids they are the ones that keep me accountable um, is parenting with no agenda. So not doing anything because you want to get a particular outcome because that's the same as a rule and that leads to all of those punitive measures that we talked about earlier. You know, if we've got an, an outcome in mind, if we want our kids to be a particular way, then by, by nature we will start working towards that goal of shaping them to be whatever it is that we've got in our mind. And if they resist it, which they often do, because they're their own human beings, their own people, they've got their own personhood, how, how are we going to control how they get there? Well, we, we control it by subtly manipulating them, subtly coercing them to come around to our way of being. And that's no different to punishing. So I, I question... Uh, yeah, what, 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 what's my agenda? And to not have one, to not have an attachment to an outcome or an agenda. And so I don't have any judgments about that because uh, there's, there's other things. I've got so many other things that I'm focusing on. I've got so much more space to think about humans in a different way because I'm not judging how other people are living or how I'm living or how my kids are. But do you think it's realistic to believe that you can have no judgments? I mean, don't humans inherently judge? I think of discernment and judgment as different things. So, so say, okay. say you're walking along, you know, uh, imagining how my ancestors would have walked and they're choosing some fruit off of a hedge. <laughs> they, they will discern yep. whether it's safe to eat or not safe to eat. Our, our, modern, our modern culture will add a judgment and we will talk about something being bad or good. Uh -huh. but, our ancestors, I think, would have looked at something and worked out whether it was safe and they didn't love the thing that wasn't safe, the, the toxic berry. They didn't love that any less. They just knew it wasn't safe for them to eat. But there was no judgment of good or bad on that. So it's judgment versus discernment, the way that you're using the word discernment. Some people would lump that interpretation in with the word judgment as well. Because obviously you could say you made a judgment about which piece of fruit to have, but you're meaning more judgment in the sense that there's a moral, like a moral aspect almost. I think it depends on which ancestors we're talking about because obviously our highly religious ancestors would have had plenty of that. 
Because religions function to bring a connectedness within society. You say connectedness, I say control. Uh, there's another word. Um, ah, it's cohesion. I do know what you mean, but, but, but I would say the way a lot of organised religions have approached it is by control. They've attempted to have cohesion by adding controls. And, and, and in fact, arguably, that's where a lot of the judgments have come in. I mean, if you're thinking about, you know, moralistic kind of judgments, good, bad, right, wrong, there, there is nowhere that that is more prevalent than in a church, for example. Sure. I mean, there's different expressions of religion. I suppose I was thinking more from a sociological perspective, like what role has religion played? If we think of something like the Catholic Church, of course it's very rules and regulations based. But if we're talking about more of a tribal context, you end up with rules within those cultures. Um, for example, an idea that you shouldn't drink out of a certain body of water because there's evil spirits in it, which now looking back, we can see that these rules evolved because that particular body of water was unsafe because further up the river, people were doing their business in there and so it was actually contaminated. So in this sense, you end up with rules which are there to improve the, the quality of living and cohesion and that kind of thing with the group. I do think you're right. Some, some of the things that we think of as rules or when we use that word, we're, we're often talking about you know, norms, things that we all know that aren't mm. set in stone. Mm. And, and yeah, our ancestors had myths and stories that were part of how they sort of governed, for want of a better term, society. And I, I guess they were just rules in another form. They were how we live. Some of those stories were the same as our rules are now. Mm. So... Mm. I guess that those words can be really loaded, can't they? And I think they have. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a lot of like laws now. We've got yes. laws instead of stories. And yeah. a lot of them are arbitrary. And even the rules that we live by in our society now, they're arbitrary. And if we looked at the, the myths and stories of our ancestors uh, and say Indigenous Australians have, have dreaming stories, those they, they weren't arbitrary. They were really about how those people were connected to each other and to the land mm. and to mm. creation mm. and to, so they were the opposite of arbitrary and they they evolved over time and they em embedded cultural practice in into a into a nation and mm. our mm. rules are more like surface level yeah we have lost our stories that's for sure and i think we do still have some stories you know we have cultural stories and myths but a lot of them, well, we actually have so many of them because we're so fractured as a society now. But I agree, I think a lot of them are quite superficial, maybe more like stereotypes that we feel we need to live up to rather than these deep-rooted uh, myths and, and cultural stories. And they're, they're like a, a cultural norm almost in a way. And, and some of those things can be the same as rules for some people. You know, linking it back to what you were saying about motherhood before and, you know, Caitlin's feeling about cleaning the house. It's like the labels thing. They're just another form of rules. So, you know, you're a bloke in Australia. This is, the, this is how we are. You're a mum mm. in Australia. This is how we are. Uh, and, of yeah. course, yeah. then there's like sub subgroups within that. Yes. Isn't there? But each yes. of them yes. have these codes that you don't know about until you, <laughs> until you arrive. And then, and yes. they're, just, they're just rules. They're just like another yeah. set of rules, like you're this kind of mum and these are the rules of that. Um, or you're this kind of mum and these are the rules of that. Here's a question, and it's a bit of a paradoxical one. Is attempting to live a life with no rules a rule? So this, this actually uh, comes up sometimes. So I guess it could be if, if we weren't careful. And this is where, you know, being accountable to ourselves and our communities and our family is really important um, that it could be like if you decided if you were going to take that to the, the dogmatic extreme, we are never going to adhere to any rules. Well, I mean, to me, it, it is about being open, always being open and 
to a large degree, a large degree, living in in your instinct and intuition and using that to guide. So there are times where certain rules, if you want to call them that, are where they make sense to us and we we stick with them and they help our society be cohesive. Not that it particularly is, but you know that's that's the goal if we were to have one. So you know, mm-hmm. if I'm on a motorway, I do stick to the speed limit, and I yep. understand why there's a speed limit. And and I'm happy to I'm happy to stick to it. You know, that's a simple example. Mm, mm, but there are mm. other things, even laws, that don't make sense to me. And I don't necessarily follow them. But not because I've decided I'm never following rules. I am a sovereign being first. And I will mm-hmm. be guided by what I think is right. And that's what my children do too. So uh, I I generally would question a rule that doesn't make sense to me. I might still decide I'm going to follow it. There might be some reason yeah. why I think, yep, okay, I'm going to just follow that rule or law or social norm, even though I, it doesn't really sit right with me. And there'll be other times where I'm like, I, I actually can't do that. That yeah. goes against my heart so much that I'm not, I'm not going to follow that. Yeah, that, that will mm. absolutely happen. Yeah, okay. So it's a stronger value and applied as a value more uh holistically maybe within your domain your family domain uh but i think once you go bigger that would really start to border into just being a rebel i mean like being a rebel as an identity um just for the sake of it it's not like there's anything wrong with being rebellious but it's when when you start to find your sense of self in that i'm not sure that's very productive or helpful the thing we haven't really talked about explicitly in this conversation, but it's really important when you want to live in values as distinct from arbitrary rules is how uh, one person's actions impacts on another person. So in our family, that's our guiding force. How is my autonomy impinging on that of another? And that's where our limits are actually, like the limits in our family, they're personal limits as opposed to rules. So and and they get pushed, you know, my kids are still pretty young and I sometimes do things that might impinge on another person's autonomy as well. I want to do something they don't. How are we going to negotiate for that to work? One kid wants to go to the park, the other kids don't. How are we going to work that out? How are we going to live, you know, peacefully without impacting negatively as far as we can, everybody else in the family? And then the next circle out or the next layer out is, how can we live in a way that positively impacts the people outside of our family? So, mm-hmm. and, and there are rules, arguably there are rules that actually put us in opposition to other people. And so what do we think about those rules? How, how is following that rule actually going to impinge on another person's sovereignty or autonomy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. the next, you know, and so it goes out, but it starts in our family. You know, you, you want to have your speakers up really loud but the other person sitting next to you, they're on their computer too and they're trying to listen to a show. So you doing what you want is having a negative impact on your brother. So how can we negotiate that? What can we do so that everyone can be cool? Um, mm. And sometimes it's as simple as that and sometimes it it is a longer conversation. But because we don't have any of these rules to fall back on, it, it requires a... Uh, sometimes quite a lengthy <laughs> negotiation you know my brother won't play with me can you force him to play and that comes up all the time in our, yeah. in our house um but because we're a family that has decided we don't want to live by force well how do we negotiate that no i'm not i'm not going to force your brother to play with you because well you don't like being forced to do stuff so why you know like, is that something we still want to do? Do we want to live with force or without force? If we agree that we want to live without force and no one's forced, well, then we have to come at it in a different way. And so that is how I guess we more and more view the world, which is tricky because that's not how a lot of the rest of the world operates. So that's uh, there's like a dance. And that's actually a good segue because I wanted to say you know, with my relationship counselling hat on, that these are the kinds of issues and the stuff that comes up between couples. Um, But navigating this stuff and agreeing or finding common ground, 
I'd love to hear a bit about how you guys have navigated that. I'm guessing you have different views and different perspectives from each other at times. Yeah, absolutely. We do not always agree. Um, it takes a long time to convince Dylan around to my way of thinking. So I, uh, <laughs> um, it, it is, I guess it is, first of all, constantly questioning this narrative that we have to be in opposition to another person. So, and, and this comes up a lot in, in my work as well, actually. I work with parents who want to live in freedom with their kids. So there's kind of two elements to it. Some of it is about parents who want to live outside of families, who want to live outside of the school system uh, and coaching around the, the sort of deprogramming and unlearning that happens to live with our children in a fairly, like, radical way. And then there's... Um, parents who, who they may still want their children to be in school, but they, they want to live in partnership with their kids. Mm-hmm. And often there'll be a mum who's like, I really want to live like that. You know, I don't want my kids to go to school. I want to sort of take an unschooling path, but my husband wants them to go to bed at seven o'clock and learn maths and brush their teeth three times, you know, like whatever. And, and so they create this story yeah. where they're, they're in different corners of the boxing ring. And so they're in opposition because they're both fighting for what they believe is the right thing mm-hmm. to do. And they're living very strongly in their each of their own their own story about what they think's right. Um, and then yeah. if you're, you know, staunchly defending your position, which is naturally right, then it pushes the other person in the into the position of being wrong yeah. and creates conflict. Yeah. So, you know, what I what we try to do in our family, and I'm not saying we get it right all the time, but it is this idea that there's all this space in the middle where we've got, yeah, this, well, you said middle ground. I mean, it's, it's that. It's we've got all this space in the middle. We both love our kids a lot and we both love each other and we both love the world, you know, whatever, whatever the common themes are and starting there as distinct from starting at the differences because starting with the differences just puts us in conflict and it's really hard mm-hmm. to move from that. Like when you are defending your little thing that you think's right, it's really hard to move on from there. And it's really hard to see the other person generously when you've put them into that position of being wrong. Mm. So the story that you started with essentially was Dylan asking you what more you wanted or, or needed. I'm actually seeing this pattern a lot with couples that I'm working with where often the women have this midlife awakening where they really where what they want, and I mean, it's different for everyone, but what they want is to have more freedom or autonomy. They want to mix things up. They've done the little kid thing. They've done the toddler thing, all those stages, and the kids are a bit more more self-sufficient. And everyone handles this stage or this shaking up a bit differently. Some women seem to blow up the whole system they start going out and drinking and, you know, um, they end up leaving. Uh, but some don't blow up the whole system, but the partner just doesn't get it. They don't understand it. And maybe they end up becoming resentful that everything's changing and shifting. While everyone handles it differently, I am noticing a, a repeating pattern. And I think it's quite beautiful. I don't think it's a bad thing. But it's interesting to hear that what's happening for you, you wanting more freedom and, you know, how you guys ended up navigating through all this. You, you kind of both blew up the system. Was he on board right away or not, not really? Yes, yes. So he, it was his idea actually to go, to go hard. I said initially why don't we just like because we had we've got a camper trailer it's still in Australia um and I'm like we just could just live in our camper trailer and just kind of travel around the country and uh maybe keep our house and rent it out you know I had different ideas and he's he's like no we've got to like got to go big we've got to go bigger let's just get rid of it all um and and why that was important for us was because it was completely dismantling everything mm. that we had to, to build something new from scratch in a way. Mm. Um, and so I think for us that was, that was our path because we needed to 
to do that to be able to work out what it was that we wanted. But yeah. I think it is this this pattern that you're noticing. And I, I agree. I see the same thing that it is most often women who have this like yearning to be connected to this wild part of ourselves. And I think that's what it is. It's it's like we feel it. We feel this wildness that that's our like raw humanity, like the animalistic mm. part of ourselves. And I think mm. women do feel that more keenly. And when we finish doing the jobs of mothering, because, you know, mothering, it, it does often happen at the same time. Once we've weaned our last baby and, you know, that's kind of when it started happening for me is until then you're pretty busy just doing the stuff. You don't really have time to think about anything else apart from just getting the yeah. stuff done. And uh, and then there's this, this movement and it's quite natural. I mean, if you look at the phases in a woman's life, it's really natural spiritually, hormonally, physiologically, you wean your babies and you move into the next phase. And our ancestors would have had rites of passage for those things. They would sure. have had stories. They would have had aunties and grandmas and people to help us move into that next phase and we don't, but we want it. Yep. We want there to be this yep. like almost demarcation. And I think that's yep. this the women that are disrupting at that point are like, okay, I'm, re I'm ready for this next thing now. And we don't have those frameworks for that. And so we, we're just kind of banking it up. But I think that's what it is. We're like connecting to this, this like sense of, this yes. sense of self and also the wild. Yes, we don't have those frameworks for it. That's a good way to put it. And we don't have systems that support that growth. I mean, I've seen it in women's eyes that are sitting across from me and they love their family and they care about all that stuff. And yet they've had a taste of freedom and autonomy that they're not prepared to compromise on, even though five minutes ago they maybe were prepared to. You can't go back. Once you've unleashed her, <laughs> she doesn't go back in. Yeah. She does not go back in. And uh, and and I have to say it, the, the blokes just have to bloody get out of the way sometimes. They're not on the same page sometimes. Um, you know, because, you know, women did used to rule the world, right, and we will again. And so there's this, like, we know it. Once you've got that taste of freedom, you made a comment before that some, well, lots of women don't know how to do that, but some women will go, they'll go partying and drinking and whatever. And I think that's because they don't know what else to do. And that's perhaps mm. when they feel free. I mean, I used to, when I was living in Adelaide, I used to feel it when I got in the car and went on a long road trip. You know, we would go camping, yeah. we'd go to the outback. Whether the kids were with me or not, I'd get in that car, I'd get on the highway, I'd have the camper trailer behind me. And that's when I'd feel it. And, and now I feel it here, um, but I feel it most often when I'm connected to something outside of myself, but also in myself. And once once women feel that, they they cannot put it back in, and they're mm. like uncompromising in their in their quest to be constantly connected to their like essence of womanhood. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you made that joke about women ruling the world. It gets to another piece of it that I've noticed too that sometimes what happens is that instead of women realizing that they're having a shift, which as I say, I think is a beautiful thing to behold, I've noticed for some people there's this tendency to not own how they were complicit in creating the dynamic that came before. So like I never had freedom because he didn't give it to me. Um, however, my experience is that it's always both. Is he being controlling and she's letting him or do you know, was she needing that support? And so he moved into that role. It's a very two-way thing, I think. And that's where I go, no, no, this is a beautiful process and you need to bring him along. I mean, it depends on the guy, obviously. I've definitely seen guys who are like, teach me. I'm not used to you wanting this freedom, but I'm open to it, even if it scares the hell out of me. So I agree. That's where the guy just needs to get along with the program and, and the woman needs to include him in that too if the goal is to retain the relationship. Obviously, she doesn't need to do anything. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that our society sometimes overemphasizes this autonomy piece of women. It becomes an overly individualistic endeavor. But we are still communal beings. We do still need each other. There's a paradox. You can be wild and embedded in a loving relational system, you know? Yeah, I think we don't know what to do with it. Like we no. 
we don't have a way of of beautifully moving into something new and so we, we know everyone's just making it up really uh and and I think that's it is confusing because I think if we're not expecting it so so you know when you have a baby you know you sort of know you're going to be different you don't mm. really know how you don't you don't think about it yet but but when the baby comes you're sort of like oh okay yeah I'm different now and you're expecting it but there's other stages in our lives that we we're not we don't know about we don't talk about it we don't talk about what happens when you wean we don't talk about what happens you know relate like a parent relationship when you're you know all of the different things that we go through that we don't really talk about all transformations into something new so when you know that's going to happen if you expect it and and you have some ritual around it then you can you can talk about it openly you can plan for it you can celebrate it you can include other people you however mm. it is that you want to mark that but we don't have those things really in our I mean they're coming there's there are a lot of people you know who yeah. work in this really in the area of women but also in, with men there's heaps of stuff going on around and that's why they're important because we're like okay this is coming up we can plan for it we can prepare for it we can talk about it and then we can like intentionally step into this new way of being um which maybe these these people that you're working for in your in your work um it's taking them by surprise because they yes. they didn't know that it was coming and and we've like you know kids um because my kids don't go to school and but I, a couple of them did I've never been in a situation where all my kids have been at school <laughs> I never made it to that sort of part of my life where all my kids are at school and now I can think about what I'm going to do next but that's yes. another one of them often they've been mothering you know, whether they were working or not is kind of not that important, but they've been mothering and now all my kids are at school. And that marks a new phase. I do believe it's artificial and I don't think it's actually connected to anything like a part of our humanity. It's at least something. Like yeah. it's maybe it's imposed from the outside, but it's still, it marks something new. And so lots of women do. Like I had a friend who when her last child went to school, she's like, right, okay, I'm going to have this year, I'm going to kind of give myself a year and I'm going to work out what I'm going to do. And, and she had some kind of time doing whatever she wanted and then she started thinking about what she was going to do next and do the course and kind of, work, you know, had some changes at moving into a new career. So that's one way of approaching it. But um, like, but there's a, deep, there's a deeper shift that happens, I think, biologically and, and spiritually for us and, and that's the stuff that we do need, those like rituals. And it absolutely happens for parents. One of the differences, I guess, in the way we live in our family is that if I was to have a goal, it would be that all of that is in alignment. And because our kids are with us, you know, typically Dylan goes to work, although he is actually working from home at the moment. I have been able to find a way to earn money while my kids are around. And so for me, I don't have that kind of, oh, kids are going to school now, I'm going to go and do whatever I'm going to do. Like that's that's not going to happen for me. But there are other ways that I've been able to connect to myself in this next phase of life. Well, that's really great to hear. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been, um, been really great to have a chat with you to get to know you a bit better. And please let me know where to find you online and I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. I've got a website and I've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group, partnershipparent.com. That's where you can find me. Thanks, Dan. Great way to start my day. The sun's come up now. Thank you.